here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I want to tell everyone, be ready to enjoy, but recognize it's going to be really, really cold. So it is my responsibility to tell people we expect very cold temperatures. We want people to be ready. You can go outside, but be very careful. If you feel it's getting to be too much, get indoors. Don't go out for too long at a stretch. Oh, holy crap. I mean, thank God for that guy, right? Shoot. I mean, here I was just, uh, you know, freezing my butt off and... I was like, you know what I need to do is actually just kind of take off everything I've got and see what happens. You mean that if I'm really cold, I should try to go somewhere where it's not really cold. Holy crap. Man, that is, uh, whew, thank you, Mayor Bill de Blasio. But, I mean, th- these are the important things. Hey, just in case, just in case you wondered if we have successfully created multiple generations of morons due to our public education system, let there be no doubt. New York's mayor, Bill de Blasio, leading up to the Thanksgiving parade. Oh, uh, Hey, I am in a, a place that is anywhere but cold. I am your South Florida friend, Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin, newest radio National Hall of Fame member, and always an honor and a pleasure to be with you. I host the Morning Rush here at WJNO in West Palm Beach, a few miles away from El Presidente right now as he's hanging out this weekend over at Mar-a-Lago. And I also host the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. And uh, it is truly an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. And selective moral outrage is something that uh, I'm going to get into today because there is a lot of selective moral outrage. You'll hear me say certain things. There are two sides to stories, one side to facts. You'll hear me uh, talk about the greatest form of bias in media being omission. And that's all on display with everything involving Khashoggi, who I affectionately refer to as Waldo, and the Saudi situation. Chief Justice John Roberts and his coming to bat for the Ninth Circuit. And the fraudulent Honduran caravan. We have no shortage, no shortage of selective moral outrage. So we're going to go through all of it. But first, I feel like I am having to wade into selective intellectual outrage. Only I'm going to be the, the perpetrator of the selective intellectual outrage. And it starts with Bill de Blasio and what happened right there. That is the extent of intelligence and intellectualizing anymore to where we have a mayor that says, all right, if it's cold, I mean, you gotta, you gotta be not cold. Don't stay out there and be cold. Oh my gosh, whatever would we do without you? And you know, I can relate to it uh, here in in South Florida because uh, every April, about the time we go directly from winter straight into summer, we end up having the obligatory stories and the the public officials and emergency management folks to go, all right, now here's, here's what happens. If you're hot, if you're hot, drink water, And get out of the sun. And and I always have those moments where I'm going, wow, thank you. Because for a moment, I thought plan A, just to be standing or maybe even walking in place a little bit directly in the sun just to see what would happen. But but thank you for for that valuable information. Yeah, I 
generation of, of morons that we've raised. That selective intellectual outrage. Apparently, we need to be educated about those types of things. But that's not the only type of, of selective intellectual outrage that I want to engage in. Because here we are. It, it is now officially the Christmas season. It's Black Friday. Many folks out there that are engaging in what their public education system had taught them. So you have many people that will go out today and get something for 50% off, put it on a credit card, make minimum payments, and by the time they're done, pay 300% of the original price. That will happen today. And uh, people will feel good about getting the deals they got. And as many people are out shopping today, you have so many of the the Christmas stations that have uh, flipped and, and you hear the music everywhere. And I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. I have very little pride in in terms of my masculinity. So, for example, I enjoy the Christmas music, and I will watch Hallmark uh, Christmas movies with my wife. This is what I do. But there are certain things that I have been hoping for some time, either through just a, a sense of, of understanding what the lyrics and the songs are and represent, or through political correctness, because political correctness has screwed so many things in our society. I'm like, Maybe now and then there could be something positive that comes out of political correctness, like getting rid of the really awful Christmas songs. One of the the real pet peeves I have as I'm engaging in selective intellectual outrage actually takes place with uh, Band-Aids. Do they know it's Christmas? I've been rooting for the end of this thing pretty much since it began. Yes, most people probably don't pay attention to the lyrics, and they go, yeah, I remember that video, and you had all the, the singers, and they were swaying, and yeah. But have you ever listened to the lyrics of the song? I mean, come on. The first thing is, it's depressing as heck. Why do you want to talk about something that is absolutely miserable while you're engaging in shopping and joy in the Christmas season? I mean, they talk about a world outside your window, a world of dread and fear, where the only water flowing it is the bitter sting of tears. That's horrible. I mean, that's arguably much worse than the depressing Christmas shoe song. But the one that really gets me in this song, as I am imposing my selective intellectual outrage, it's always gotten me, the line about there being no snow in Africa this Christmas time. Now, the first thing is, being here in South Florida, we never have snow at Christmas time either. And guess what? The people here don't want it. So many people uh, do not feel deprived by not having snow at Christmas time. But beyond that, with the line about the Africans and do they even know it's Christmas time? Well, statistically, the answer would be no. And you would go, exactly. That's why we need to feed the world. Because then they'll know it's Christmas in Africa. Or it could be that Christianity is not the predominant language on the continent. Just, I mean, and I understand that uh, in, in the world in which we need Bill de Blasio to tell us, all right, now, if it's cold, try to become less cold. That uh, it, it probably is a, a stunning shock that, uh, yeah, it's actually Islam that's the predominant religion in the continent of, of Africa. So, yeah, I mean, uh, only approximately 40% of Africans would know it's Christmas time. And that's, you know, provided that they actually adhere to the religion. Just saying. These are the things that drive me a little bit crazy. Something else that I heard on 
the radio once again. John Lennon, the happy Christmas song, the war is over. Uh, the biggest thing here, and, and it's just, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't, well, it's not a happy Christmas song. And when is political correctness going to catch up with this? Or does John Lennon just have like the permanent hall pass on political correctness because, well, he was John Lennon. So, I mean, come on. Because I every time I hear the, the yellow and red ones, <laughs> I, I just got to crack up. Because you think anybody these days could actually talk about the yellow and red ones in a Christmas song or anything else? And, and that would fly? Uh, so anyway, just in the grand scheme of a society that has been done down by the public education system to the extent that we need Bill de Blasio to tell us what to do when it's cold if we're going to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Well, I mean, come on. We can use this for good, too. And we, we can eliminate a, a couple of the most annoying Christmas songs that really are anything but Christmassy in the first place. And then we can go out there and, and, and spend a bunch of money on uh, stuff that uh, we can make minimum payments on and pay far more than the, the full price. I mean, that is the, the very American thing to do once you have been dumbed down by the American education establishment. Then you flip the page. And when you flip the page from the intellectual outrage over to the moral outrage, well, that, that is when you get into our media. Our media that is engaged in morality. It, it found some, but in all the wrong ways. Because their morality, their religion, is leftism. And so anything that suits that particular narrative, anything that suits that particular religion, which I don't know that they actually have a station for this, this season. You know, the, the leftist, this is my religion. You know, and maybe it's like R.E.M., Maybe he starts with losing my religion, and then you, you create something, and it's all about sunshine and lollipops. I don't know. But the selective moral outrage, we're going to tee up next. And I'm going to begin by bringing you the real story about the Saudis and what really should be considered. And the shocking number of terror attacks that are taking place in countries governed by the type of government that Saudi Arabia has. In fact... Something tells me you'd be a little bit shocked about how many people have actually died in terrorist attacks around the world today. Yeah, I mean, and yes, some in Africa, believe it or not. And there's not snow there either, best I know. But then again, you know, who knows? Hell could freeze over and, you know, the public education system could become useful as well. We'll talk about that coming up next. This is Brian Mudd and for the great one. Mud Lovin. It's going to be a joy for people of all ages, particularly for kids. But now I want to tell everyone, get ready for an amazing parade. But put on every layer you have in your household. Wear every glove you can find, every scarf, hand warmers, whatever you got. You're going to need it tomorrow. <sighs> oh, man. Wow. Uh, thank you, Bill de Blasio, and uh, what would we do without him? As much as I actually do get a kick out of thinking uh, about Ralphie's brother in A Christmas Story with the image, put on every layer you've got. If you have something, you put it on. That's what you're going to need because we are going to be cold, and when you're cold, you put on clothes because the clothes keep you Put them all on. Thank you, Bill de Blasio. 
I, I just remembered something, actually, uh, during the break, as I was uh, talking about selective intellectual outrage and political correctness and, and things that kind of drive me nuts. It was somewhat related uh, because it happened to be uh, a particularly cold game, as I recall, and it was a number of years ago, and uh, there were a bunch of folks that ended up getting in- insulted, but ultimately, there could have been good at the end of this particular story, uh, along with the entertainment that was to be had. It was at a uh, Chicago Bears game, I believe, and uh, it's probably going back 11 years now. You had a, a gentleman uh, who was spelt, uh, checked in probably uh, on the conservative end at around 350 pounds with his shirt that said, I beat anorexia. Now, it ended up going viral for some of the obvious reasons. And many of them were were simply a matter of of entertainment. And then you had the other end of it, which was the political correctness. And the anorexia uh, folks ended up uh, outraged because how dare you actually mock fat man, the uh, disorder that is anorexia. That that is not something that we can have, and and uh, you know you you need to be ashamed of your your short that that is sending the wrong message to people who are probably literally a, a third of your size or less. And so what we actually ended up doing there was eliminating the entertainment that might be had at the Chicago Bears football game. And this man, who otherwise was um, probably more entertaining than the folks on the field that particular day, we we ended up eliminating that entire movement uh, in its tracks. And yet we do still have these ridiculous Christmas songs that are depressing and actually are intellectually incorrect. Speaking uh, about, for example, Africa. And how there's not snow, and do they even know it's Christmas time when Islam is actually the predominant religion of the continent? Now, about Islam and about the Saudi Arabian situation, about Khashoggi, there is a, a very important thread that runs through here, and the President of the United States happens to be exactly right on all of this. What is that common thread, and, and what is he right about? As we talk about selective moral outrage today, about this, about John Roberts, about the caravan, when was it that media and leftists suddenly cared about morality in Saudi Arabia? I I guess that started the day that there were politics involved with President Trump. That was about the day they decided to care about morality in Saudi Arabia, because here is the inconvenient truth. I mean, as much as they seem super sporty and and cosmopolitan with women that are actually now allowed to get behind the wheel of a car. Woo! Can you? I mean, women are allowed to drive now in Saudi Arabia? Oh, my gosh. What progressive people they are. And the Hollywood crowd happens to love them, by the way. At least until the whole Khashoggi thing. And that's kind of the point. See, the deal is, the inconvenient truth, Saudi Arabia happens to be one of 12 countries that are still governed not just by Islam, but by Sharia law, which happens to believe, among other things, that if you're a woman, you're subservient to men. Details. That if you're a homosexual, well, I mean, you, you really, you don't need to be living. All right? Just, and, uh, for example, if you're a woman and you're raped, well, you know what? It's your fault. Now, In the selective moral outrage that's taking place here with the Saudi Arabian situation pertaining to Khashoggi, and as I talk about this situation, I'm going to give you a couple things just uh, for context. One, because Jamal Khashoggi is not exactly roll off the tongue. Two, because it's more entertaining to talk about Waldo, 
Remember, you know, we couldn't find where he was and what goes on. Waldo. All right. And then what actually ended up happening to him, we will refer to as being Dextered. Okay. So you have Waldo, who was Dextered. And Dextered, if you're not familiar, uh, is uh, due to the TV show that was wildly entertaining, where he actually had a, a crazy person, coincidentally, here in South Florida, that was a serial killer that people fell in love with. So. You had Waldo that was Dextered, and all intelligence reports seem to suggest that it was the Saudi Arabian government that was behind it from the very top. Okay, whether that happens to be the case or not, and the president, uh, he's saying, hey, you know what, they're, they're saying no, and I'm believing them, really is beside the point. Because while it might not necessarily be ideal for Waldo to be Dextered, there are a couple things, one about him and two about the country itself. You're not talking about a country that operates with a system of morality that we happen to agree with in the United States. Not even the left, especially not the left theoretically, but it's all part of the the details, the omission. Most pervasive form of bias in media is omission. So what they leave out of the story is that this guy who was supposed to be this family man who lived in Virginia and stuff with the Washington Post... I mean, this was just a patron saint almost, if he were adhering to a different religion. Or he could have been exactly the opposite person with a past that is as checkered as any. We'll get into that. We'll talk about the selective moral outrage. Get some of your thoughts on this as well. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. The establishment's worst nightmare. Mark Levin. Call in now, 877-381-3811. We have a very strong ally in Saudi Arabia. We have an ally that said they did not commit at the top level, the crown prince, the king. They did not commit this atrocity, and it's an atrocity. It's a terrible thing. I dislike it more than you do. President Trump, a couple days ago, from just a few miles away from where I'm broadcasting, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin, here in West Palm Beach. The president over this Thanksgiving weekend at Mar-a-Lago, his home, often referred to as the Winter White House. Uh, that freaks out all the liberals down here and gets everybody all upset. But really, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't disrupt much of anything except for right around Mar-a-Lago. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, now... Been talking about the selective moral outrage, and we're going to work through the selective moral outrage that goes on with John Roberts and what he has said and done this week, the Ninth Circuit. We're going to talk about the fraud that is the Honduran caravan. 
I'll expose them and give you the information that you specifically need uh, to read, to share, and to inform. Uh, Because it is a complete fraud and front organization that fundraised in California and that put together that caravan, and I'll bring you that information. But also, the select moral outrage to be upset about Jamal Khashoggi and to demand that we take, take some type of action against Saudi Arabia. Now, aside from the fact that uh, you take a look at oil prices and oil prices have come down because the president has decided not to engage in some type of uh, tough sanctions because of Jamal Khashoggi, uh, not so affectionately referred to as Waldo by me, and, and the fact that he was textured potentially at the behest of the Saudi Arabian government, despite the president refuting that. The bigger issue here is what he represents, Jamal Khashoggi. He doesn't represent this upstanding citizen of the United States, some humanitarian, some amazing family man, because he had some stuff that was published in the Washington Post. In fact, if anything, his background leads even more uh, question to more questions than answers about the Washington Post and their standards once again. Because, among other things, Khashoggi had been running with the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood. Sound familiar? They're talking a little bit about Africa today. Uh, and the Muslim Brotherhood has a bit of a history, having been involved with a lot of elements that, well, might have been engaged in elements of terrorism even in recent years. Now, I don't know exactly how the Muslim Brotherhood goes, but I'm not sure if what what goes on in the Muslim Brotherhood stays in the Muslim Brotherhood. And it's kind of like I, I don't really understand gang culture fully, but I, I've kind of come to understand that if you're in – uh, some type of a, a gang. You you try to leave the gang, but uh, you know, will, will the gang ever leave you? I mean, you have these questions. You know, the it's like the mob. All these various different elements. So first, that is Khashoggi's background. Not exactly a family man. Uh, not exactly a humanitarian. Now, even still, that doesn't mean that he should be Dexter. Doesn't mean that he should be cut up into pieces and and thrown away somewhere, ordered by government. Agreed. But here's the problem. Why is it that you decided to care about morality now? Why now? For years, for years, many of us have been talking about the amoral, Islamic-run countries like Saudi Arabia. Lest we forget where the overwhelming majority of the 9-11 hijackers are from. How about Osama bin Laden, anybody? Yet when we, for years, have answered the conversation about, hey, Pay attention to Sharia law. No, not all Islam is evil, but Sharia law certainly is. Where were the leftists? Nowhere. In fact, we were called out. We were the the radicals. We were the the bigots or whatever else, uh, whatever the names they wanted to offer away. But they didn't want to hear the actual concerns that led to the radicalization of so many people like Osama bin Laden, like the hijackers, and like, oh, I don't know, the terror attacks that continue to this very day. See, Saudi Arabia happens to be, despite their whole new hip, uh, you know, way of, of having women actually become eligible to drive. I mean, imagine that. They still adhere to Sharia law, which means that women are still subservient to men in that society. So any conversation that anyone wants to have about moral relativism with Khashoggi, with me, starts with a question about where the hell you were and why you didn't care that women were subservient to men in their society and still are. That homosexuals have no place. They can be stoned to death simply because of their sexuality. It's awfully convenient what's going on. But here's what happened just today. Now, I, I know in the news everywhere today, the top stories have been 
the horrific terror attacks, right? No? We, we don't have stories everywhere about the horrific terror attacks? Oh. Huh. I, I guess it was just oversight by, by media generally. You see, because today alone, today, Black Friday here in the United States, we have had five terror attacks resulting in 64 dead people and 103 uh, additional injuries. No joke. That's today and your world. Now, maybe part of the reason why he doesn't make the news is that it's not all that atypical when it comes to radical Islam. Countries that end up adhering to Sharia law. Like, for example, Saudi Arabia. See, these terror attacks that, uh, I mean, just uh, omission in in the news. I mean, minor oversight here today. You probably didn't hear about Al-Qaeda storming a checkpoint in Yemen and killing four people. But that happened today. You probably, and they don't put this in the tourist materials in uh, Cape Town, you, you probably haven't heard about the terrorist that opened up on a rival mosque, killing one person and injuring one person in Cape Town, South Africa. I'm guessing that you didn't hear about the two separate terror attacks in Pakistan today. You had two incidents of bombing that took place, different cities in Pakistan. But the bombers, one of those killed two people, injured uh, another. In the second of the attacks today in Pakistan, there were 31 that were killed and 50 that were injured. And again, minor oversight in the news. Or in Afghanistan, you had another suicide bomber who ended up taking out 26 people and injuring another 50. And again, the unfortunate part is, this isn't all that unusual. You see, over the past 30 days, we've had 117 Islamic terror attacks across 21 countries with 544 people dead and 557 injured. I mean, details, right? Minor oversight by media, I'm sure. All cultivated in countries that adhere to the form of government that, like Saudi Arabia, have. That we've been talking about for two decades, essentially, now. But the real upset here, the real concern is is Khashoggi. I mean, that needs to be where we're morally outraged. Not the rest of this. Not the bigger issue. You'll hear me talk about the premise. And the premise is succinctly this. If the foundation of anything is false, anything that you build on top of it is going to fail. I use the example of a house. You can have the most beautiful house in the world. Everything you ever dreamed of that was inside. But if the foundation is cracked, it's going to be condemned. It's not going to be livable, and it eventually collapses. It does not matter anything else. Well, the problem is we've got a foundation, these governments being led by Sharia law. Countries that adhere to it, by the way, happen to be Afghanistan, Indonesia, Iran, Iraq, the Maldives, Nigeria, Qatar. Yes, Saudi Arabia, the Sudan, UAE, and Yemen. Now, you you might notice that there often are many terror attacks in these places. Huh, imagine that. So rather than having the conversation about the bigger issue, which is, hey, you know, um, this whole Sharia thing's pretty bad. Instead, we're going to wait until there's something that is a political opportunity against the president. And then we're going to say, yeah, you need to go after Saudi Arabia with sanctions because of this guy, because of Khashoggi. I guarantee you that I can find innocent people that were far better people in their lives that died today in terror attacks that you never heard about until just now, 
far better people than Jamal Khashoggi. Waldo, as the case may be. Beyond that, when you take a look at the implications, given that we have decided, all right, we're going to have to make the best of a bad situation here because we have these highly amoral countries, at least, again, according to our Americanized standards, where we actually believe that women are not subservient to men, that if you're homosexual, you shouldn't be stoned to death. And I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe we, we shouldn't be cultivating Islamic terrorism. I mean, I, I think we still believe that in this country. Anyway, so we're, we're supposed to take sanctions against Saudi Arabia. Now, let's think of what could go wrong in this particular example. What could go wrong with Saudi Arabia if we really upset them? People focus on the oil. And, yeah, I mean, who wants to pay more for gas and whatever else? But that's the lesser of the big deals. In fact, the United States, you may not have even heard this. I'm sure they don't include it in the, the new materials in public education. But we are now the world's top producer of oil. So it's less of a concern what goes on with Saudi Arabia and uh, in the Middle East with it generally. But the, the bigger concern, the bigger point here happens to be our biggest ally in that region, Israel. Good old Israel for a moment. Because right now, as flawed as Saudi Arabia happens to be, and as they have been, they are aligned with us still against Iran. They are aligned with us still for Israel. And the president, President Trump, has an awful lot to do with just how far they've come in support of Israel. It's kind of a big deal when you had Saudi Arabia embrace Israel to the extent that they have. So what are the implications here if Donald Trump took everything that he's worked on to this point, which has helped eradicate ISIS, which has helped to deal with the problems that were being exported from that region around the world and begin to isolate it a bit more to the terror-sponsoring countries. What happens if Saudi Arabia said, well, screw you. You want to you place sanctions on us? You want to come after us? You know, suddenly, Iran isn't looking so bad anymore. And Israel, we didn't really like them anyway. We don't exactly share values, if you know what I mean. So what are the implications there? And that's what people want to risk over Jamal stinking Khashoggi? I mean, biggest freaking hypocrites in the world. Country where women are subservient, could be stoned to death if they are raped, that homosexuals, they shouldn't be alive. But man, Jamal Khashoggi. There are two sides to stories, one side to facts. Your media sucks on wheels, and that is why we are right here. More coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. going to be able to conclude that the crown prince did it. But uh, I will say this, I, I don't know. I don't know. But whether he did or whether he didn't, uh, he denies it vehemently. Ah, yes, the selective moral outrage by our media as they are trying to get President Trump to say anything to condemn Saudi Arabia to you know, give way to any of the progress we've made with Saudi Arabia to this point with Israel against Iran. Because, my gosh, this Jamal Khashoggi, this wonderful man, I mean, come on, come on. I mean, screw the women, you know, the, the, the women in Saudi Arabia. I mean, 
you know, who really likes them anyway? I mean, women. And then, you know, the homosexuals. We only use them for political purposes here as leftists in the news media in the United States anyway. I mean, oh, wait, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. These stinking hypocrites. All right, so on the topic of selective moral outrage, Khashoggi, uh, we got Larry in Columbus, Ohio. Larry, go. This entire thing is just total nonsense. You've got a guy who was a really a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. He was not a great guy, but it doesn't mean they should go in and kill journalists. It was kind of a heavy-handed, stupid thing to do. But the media is going to pounce on anything because they hate Trump, period. If you turn on CNN, certainly not news, it's 100% we hate Trump You know, uh, news. That's it. So they'll just pounce on this, even though... They have no clue what the Middle East is like. And the fact is that as bad as Saudi Arabia is, we need them now. And it's not just for for oil or for business. They are uh, really uh, there for stability. They are the Sunni side of the polar opposite. You have the Shia, which is Iran, and then the Sunnis, which is the other side of the war. And if we mess around with Saudi Arabia, the result will be something nobody's going to want uh true awards have not been spoken today and larry uh, i have a feeling that if more people had the sensibilities of you we wouldn't be having this conversation right now but common sense is something that is often lacking and then more importantly is absolutely denied it kind of goes back to like uh, the bill de blasio clips we're playing at the onset of the show because uh, hey it's cold and so it's really going to be cold so you need to make sure that if you're cold, you layer up, right? So we, we could have somebody in the case of like Jamal Khashoggi. You go, wow, he's a really bad guy. He's a really bad guy. Now, that doesn't mean he should be killed. But then again, how good is Saudi Arabia on a good day anyway? And, uh, yeah, do we like Israel or do we not like Israel? You know, th- these little details might be an important part of the story. But, uh, you know, look, I mean, Khashoggi was accepted by the Washington Post. So, I mean, that makes him like royalty to to our news media. Let's go to Anthony in New York. Anthony, go. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Uh, I'm enjoying the show tonight. I totally agree with the last caller and everything that you're saying. But here's just my little spin on it. The left has in their corner, they have Muslim apologists that come on and uh, uh, you know who they are, Reza Aslan and, and Linda Sarsour. And, and these people... Um, will always try to divert attention towards that uh, the Wahhabism of Saudi Arabia is the problem. Nothing to do with fundamental Islam at all. It's just Wahhabism. Saudi Arabia is the bad guy. I mean, you you get that, right? How how the left has these people in their corner. You know, the the issue is they thrive with ignorance. They don't want to deal with the, the bigger issue. To your point, uh, that that's why I talk about the premise. And in the premise, we, we can have a lot of conversations that come off of the premise of, of Saudi Arabia. But where it actually begins is that they, from a point of our value system in this country, uh, and, and that could be if you're a conservative or if you're a liberal. This is something I think we can all agree on, that we don't believe that women should be subservient in society. We don't believe that if a woman is raped, it's her fault. We don't believe that if you're homosexual, you shouldn't live. These are things that I believe are shared values in our society, regardless of political persuasion. And so, you know, that is the bigger issue. This is the morality uh, of that government. That's what they believe. So, okay. Maybe they ordered the dextrine of Waldo. That's not good.
That's not good. It, but, yes, Waldo was not a good person either. And, and the question is, in the grand scheme of choosing your battles, why is this one you've chosen? Well, it's pretty evident that the woman who was raped that might have been stoned to death, not important to our media. However, this wonderful man who had columns picked up by the Washington Post, by God, I mean, that's somebody we got to defend. Or it could just be the obvious, which you know, and those of us that are informed know, could just be that Donald Trump is making a great deal of progress in the Middle East. And our media has chosen sides. And they are decidedly not, unfortunately, on ours. I'm Brian Mudd. And for the great one, Mark Levin, coming up, we're going to take on the fraud that is the Honduran caravan. I'll expose it next. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. We're doing very well on the southern border. We're very tough. We get a lot of bad court decisions from the Ninth Circuit, which has become a a big thorn in our side. We always lose, and then you lose again and again, and then you hopefully win at the Supreme Court, which we've done. But uh, it's a terrible thing when judges take over your protective services, when they tell you how to protect your border. It's a disgrace. Selective moral outrage. Oh, we talked about it with our friend Khashoggi in Saudi Arabia and uh, how the media suddenly decided that, uh, hey, you know, uh, now they've really crossed the line. I mean, the, the whole, you know, uh, women's rights thing. Yeah, you know, not, not so much on that. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, homosexuals uh, should die thing under Sharia law in countries like Saudi Arabia. I mean, come on. Uh, details, right? But but. Darn it. I mean, this Khashoggi. Now, that's something that's a really big issue. Mr. President, you had better take some action there. Okay, that's selective moral outrage by your news media and also by the politicos. Now, it's far from the only place we have selective moral outrage. We certainly have a great deal of it with the border and with this caravan. How dare we, how dare we 
stand in the way of these poor, unfortunate souls. You see the pictures. I mean, don't we have a heart? Who are we as a country? Okay, maybe we're a country that understands that they're a complete fraud. A complete fraud. Hey, it is uh, Brian Mudd and for the great one, Mark Levin. Hope you have enjoyed a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend with your family. You can catch me at Brian Mudd Radio. I am the host of the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach each day. And then after that show, I do a show called The Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. And I am a guest contributor to the Fox News Channel. You might occasionally catch me there as well. And I operate off of various different concepts. You'll hear me say things like there being two sides to stories, but just one side to facts. And also that you've got to get to the premise of anything, because if you accept a false premise, well, anything that is built on a false premise is probably going to be a bunch of bullcrap. And I got to tell you, we got a bunch of bullcrap and something else you'll hear me talk about. And it goes hand in hand with everything we're talking about tonight from Khashoggi in Saudi Arabia. Two, yes, the fraudulent Honduran caravan gets back to media omission. Media omission. So let's talk for a moment about who these frauds that are part of this caravan really are. And no, I'm not even talking about the fact that our own government, that the Department of Homeland Security, has identified 500 of them now, which over 10%, over 10% known criminals to our government. You think about that for a moment. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the fraudulent front organization that's behind this whole dang thing. That Pablo San Fronteras is not a household name. And you go, Brian, you're losing your mind. Why would Pablo San Fronteras be a household name? Because if our media were honest for 30 seconds, if they did their damn job for one minute, you would know the name Pablo San Fronteras and it would be all over the place. You'd never be able to hear about the Honduran caravan or any asylum seeker without hearing their name. And you go, well, why is that? Well, because that's who's behind it. That's who's behind the fraudulent Honduran caravan, Pablo San Fronteras. You go, well, who are these people? Well, you can actually go check out their website even if you want to. Because guess what they do there? They fundraise, and they even show where they're going to hold events to fundraise, and they even show uh, how you can become part of these caravans, and they even will assist in the process making sure that you are onboarded into their program. Going all the way back uh, to the previous caravans under the Trump administration, they also had a hand in it. You've heard that uh, there's been fundraising that's taken place for this caravan. I mean, the first thing you probably know is that uh, can you just traipse through the entire country of Mexico? Without there being massive problems? Is that exactly something that is safe? Let alone where you end up getting any supplies whatsoever. How does that happen? Well, it happens because it's organized. It happens because you have a fraudulent front organization, Pablo San Fronteras, that's behind all of it. Here is the rest of that particular story. The caravan was... Put together by this organization, Pablo San Fronteras. And who are they exactly? Well, they're an organization that fundraises all up and down California. In fact, the current caravan, the current fraud that is taking place right now that we're watching, the fundraising for this effort started uh, much earlier this year. It started with a march and rally June 16th in Glendale, California. You know, Glendale, California. Yeah, Glendale, California. 
Next up, July 28th, they had an event in San Francisco. August 25th, they held another Families Without Borders event in San Francisco. The getting was good in San Francisco, as you can tell. Then on September 15th, Pablo San Fronteras was in San Diego. And San Diego was, was the, the getting was good there. So on the 16th, they also held an event in San Diego and Los Angeles. Two events, two locations, same day. And then, most recently, and this is the one that you, you just can't make up, they figured, hey, you know where we can really do our last big uh, fundraising event before we put together this fraudulent caravan? It would be September 29th at the ICE Detention Center in San Diego. Yes, they held a rally, a protest, and a concert at the ICE Detention Center right outside in San Diego. And somehow or another, with all of this fundraising taking place in California over the course of months, somehow or another, with them having a website that explains all of this and even has a link for you to conveniently become part of the caravan, somehow or another, media just missed it. Huh. Shut the front door. Wow. Real accident there. Amazing. Amazing. But that's what's real with this. So once they end up holding that uh, that final event, they went to, uh, to Honduras and they got their caravan together. And then you saw what happened from there, which is, well, you, you had the breaking down of borders quite literally in Guatemala and Mexico where they literally broke into the countries. I mean, that's always a good sign of, uh, you know, goodwill entering. But here's the next important point. Because not only is the Honduran caravan a fraud because it is a front organization, Pablo San Fronteras put, that put it together, but then any legitimate asylum seekers, anyone who truly, despite the fact that it is a bought and paid for political organization that, that's doing all this, they still might have had some legitimate folks in there, right? People who really needed to get out from under the burden of their government. Okay, well, it was offered by Mexico. So every legitimate asylum seeker, every legitimate one, had an opportunity to attain asylum. And so everyone that did not from that point forward was also a proven fraud. Which means that all of them are bent on what? Criminal intent. There cannot be a legitimate asylum seeker, not one, in that entire group. Not under international law, not based upon the true meaning of asylum, which is escaping your government when they are given the opportunity to have it without coming to the United States. And then importantly, stepping foot into our country or climbing the wall or taunting our border patrol or anything else. Carrying their own country's flag while cursing at the United States. In some cases, burning American flags. Now, I know it was just an oversight once again by media not showing you the people They were burning American flags while carrying their own country's flag. Details, once again. But this is what's real. As I say, there are two sides to stories and one side to facts. And here's another important point. Even outside of this fraudulent organization, Pablo San Fronteras, that's behind this caravan once again, when you just had normal asylum seekers at a legal port of entry asking for asylum, you know how often it's actually granted? Only about a third of the time. Only about a third of the time. Meaning that most of the time, 
outside of fraud, it, it still is not permissible. It's not true and a legitimate asylum. Yet our media, yet leftists, suggested this caravan is. 500 criminals, according to the DHS and all, and every last one of them that is a criminal the moment they attempt to step on U.S. soil. And then, and then, the Ninth Circuit, the most predictable thing ever. The organization has anything to do uh, with leftist causes and nothing to do with what they once actually had to do with, the ACLU. They end up shopping in a court. Oh, where are we going to go? Of course, we're going to go out west in the Ninth Circuit. And imagine this. They got a favorable ruling. So the president calls them out. And Justice John Roberts, Chief Justice, calls out President Trump. Well, I'm going to take a look coming up next at how often, specifically, because the media has also been really bent on trying to convince you that the Ninth Circuit really is an upstanding court, like Chief Justice John Roberts. But what's real? How often do they fail at their job? How would you do? If you failed at your job to the extent that the Ninth Circuit does, we'll take a look at that next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. Large numbers of people, and in many cases we have no idea who they are, and in many cases they're not good people. They're bad people. But large numbers of people are forming at our border, and I don't have to even ask you. I know what you want to do. You want to make sure that you know who we're letting in, and we're not letting in anybody, essentially. Yes, bad people, bad people. About as eloquent as ever, President Trump, but about as accurate as ever as well, which is the more important thing in the grand scheme of things here, which is, again, the Honduran caravan is a fraud. A fraud. Bond paid for by Pablo San Fronteras. The organization that fundraised for months in California and took in money from anybody who would uh, give it, including a number of notable and uh, regular leftist contributors. The folks that went down and organized the entire caravan in Honduras and then ended up leading the whole fraudulent effort all the way through to what we now see playing out in our border. And by the way, it is kind of interesting to see some of what's going on there with the Mexicans, because one of the big mistakes, and I'll be touching on this in just a little while, is that you know, you, you, for many Folks in this country, you have the term, especially in the political context, that is thrown up as Hispanic. And Hispanic is supposed to be all one thing, right? We're all just supposed to be grouped into one particular constituency. Well, in South Florida, Hispanic means about 30 different things, for example. And uh, it means many things in many other parts of the country and the world, for that matter, as well. And what you're actually seeing here in parts of Mexico is that well, the Mexicans themselves, not exactly a fan of these Hondurans that are there that are uh, engaged in illegal activity. And many of them uh, want the right thing to happen here as well, which is them to go the heck back to their country. Because, again, they're not legitimate asylum seekers, not in Mexico, not in the United States, not anywhere. Now, I had somebody reach out to me, wanted more information on what I was talking about, the Pablo San Fronteras and, and related. Uh, coming up um, after the show, I will uh, put up on Twitter, at Brian Mudd Radio is uh, my, my Twitter handle. I'll put up their links to uh, a couple of related stories I did about a month ago. In the meantime, if you want them, if you search 
Brian Mudd and Caravan Exposed. That should do the trick for you. Again, a couple of related articles I put out in October. It gives you all the information, chapter and verse, and also the direct link. So you can go see the Fraudulent Front Organization's uh, website and, and all the details uh, that I mentioned as well, which somehow or another, again, your mainstream news media has managed to miss. Just minor, minor oversight. Now, I'm talking about the selective moral outrage. The first hour, we were talking about the selective moral outrage with Khashoggi in Saudi Arabia. Now the selective moral outrage about this caravan situation and the media being less concerned with the fact that there are 500 known criminals in the United States government. The fact that they are a fraudulent organization that were put together by a group that ended up fundraising in California. No, instead, they're more interested in the politics of the situation. Uh, that's what they're outraged by, uh, such is the case with the Ninth Circuit Court. Now, the president... Once it did, once again, did call out the Ninth Circuit after the ruling uh, about uh, the tr- president's policy and trying to rein in uh, these asylum-seeking frauds. And uh, well, y- you had none other than Chief Justice John Roberts stand up. Now, a lot of folks start getting nervous uh, because, well, we know what John Roberts is capable of. Again, legislating legislating from the bench is right in his wheelhouse. Of course, uh, you know, a lot of folks felt pretty good right up until the point with the uh, not-so-affordable Care Act to where he literally rewrote law from the bench. So we know that he's capable of judicial activism, but by and large, since the not-so-affordable Care Act and the rewriting of that legislation to make it a tax so it would be legal, we have had, by and large, John Roberts not upset too many on the right until now when his true colors show up once again. And no, we do not have Obama judges. We don't have Trump judges. We don't have Mary Poppins judges. We simply have upstanding and qualified people. Let me ask you. Let's get the politics out of it for a moment. How often at work do you have to be right? If you're at work, how often do you have to do a good job? How often can you fail and still be minimally competent? How often can you fail and be good at your job? How often could you fail at work and have somebody who is at the absolute top of your industry come out and say, you are really just part of a process of of diligent, hardworking individuals doing the best you can? How often do you think that would be to be able to get that kind of response, that kind of recognition? What do you think? Think you need to be there, say, 90% of the time, 95% of the time? I mean, if you're going to get the top of the industry uh, to come out, I mean, are you there 99% of the time because you're that that good? See, for the Ninth Circuit Court, despite what your often godless, soulless, and slanderous news media will say, see, the Ninth Circuit actually makes weathermen look good. If you ever get frustrated by the accuracy or the lack thereof with meteorologists, well... I mean, just take a look to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. See, in their most recent term, 86% of the time, 86% of the time, their work upon appeal was overturned. Now, you think about that for a moment, where you failed at your job 86% of the time. What would happen to you if you failed at your job 86% of the time? That is actually, I mean... Begins to make uh, Mendoza look like an all-star caliber hitter at that point. A lot of pitchers. A lot of pitchers that would look down on a 140 batting average. But that is exactly what the Ninth Circuit has for its batting average. 
Selective Moral Outrage. We'll continue the conversation next. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. Then simply the smartest man on radio. And you can call him 877-381-3811. I hate the crime. I hate what's done. I hate the cover-up. And I will tell you this, the crown prince hates it more than I do. And they have vehemently denied it. The CIA points it both ways. Oh, yeah. Selective moral outrage. Hey, we're talking about uh, Khashoggi in Saudi Arabia in the first hour of today's show. And if you are just joining us, catch you up to speed uh, just a little bit on that whole situation. Again, the uh, deal with Khashoggi, um, you know, multi, multi-tiered and multifaceted. First, I mean, inconvenient truth, he ran with the Muslim Brotherhood. Not exactly the most moral guys on the planet. Secondly, Saudi Arabia happens to be a country that, lest someone forgets, uh, it's where Osama bin Laden was was raised. And it happened to be where the majority of the hijackers on 9-11 were from. And, oh, by the way, their government still adheres to Sharia law, which is the most strict form of Islam, in which, for example, women don't have rights. Yeah, they're subservient to men. Now, uh, but come on! They just started driving. Yes! How progressive. Women now may drive. Uh, That's moving on up. No, really. Uh, And uh, if you're homosexual, I mean, you know, really shouldn't live. Not under Sharia law. Uh, But details. So the selective moral outrage of media getting upset about Khashoggi and uh, what happened to him. Yet somehow or another not caring uh, in the day-to-day about the numerous terror attacks that come about uh, around the world under Related governments that sponsor terror or that at least allow for the radicalization under their watch, including, for example, the multiple terror attacks that have taken place today that, uh, you know, once again, just omitted in the news. We've had terror attacks today in Yemen and South Africa and Pakistan, uh, two in Pakistan, Afghanistan. Yeah, you you know, we've only had over 60 people killed in terror attacks today alone and Only 544 people killed in terror attacks across 21 countries over the past month. But, hey, you know, I mean, details. So as we're talking about selective moral outrage there uh, with the media taking the opposition side to the president, we also have the selective moral outrage with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. 
and what Chief Justice John Roberts ended up saying about not having judges of a particular political bend. There are no Trump judges and Obama judges, just these altruistic, really amazing people that are incredible at their job. So incredible that, for example, the Ninth Circuit Court, which he was defending, fails 86% of the time. 86% of the time that their rulings come down they and they are appealed, they are overturned. Now, I don't know any other job where you could suck that bad at what you do and get to keep it. You know, you would have to be a lifetime employment. But but better still, when the top person in the industry, so to speak, decides to come out and defend you against the president who happens to be exactly right. But once again, this is the world we live in. And of course, oh my gosh, media loves that, right? I mean, because that's what's really important here. And with these like the moral outrage, Pablo San Fronteras, the front organization that fundraised and put together the Honduran caravan that ended up uh, recruiting all these folks, including these 500 uh, wonderful thugs that are at the border, identified by the Department of Homeland Security, more than 10 percent of the folks that are there waiting to come in. Uh, you know, that we should not be concerned about them. We should not be concerned about the fact that uh, the entire organization that brought them here is a fraud. No, we should be concerned in, instead that. Donald Trump doesn't have a heart, doesn't have a heart. Look at these poor people. No, really. And then they'll bring you the file footage of those poor people because what really goes on with the flag burning and the taunting of our Border Patrol folks and the like probably doesn't fit their narrative all that well. All right, so talking about selective moral outrage, David in New Jersey. David, go. Hey, I think I'll that uh, John Roberts should admonish the Ninth District Judge. And um, in a similar contrast, Doug Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L, on Google, he clip uploads play all on YouTube, scroll to the last box, timed. Yep, yep. I uh, yeah, pre- appreciate the thought there, David. Ultimately, we're talking about uh, the admonishing of Chief Justice uh, John Roberts. The only person he admonished there was the President of the United States, not ultimately the uh, Ninth Circus, which, you know, again, if you fail 86% of the time, how many people are going to come out and defend you? I mean, details here. Details, right? All right. Let's go to Greg, who wants to talk about Khashoggi. Greg in Macon, Georgia. Greg, go. Yes, sir. Um, they've got had to resort back to the uh, Khashoggi issue because everything at the border is not working out real good for the left wings. I mean, they're California's on fire, and that's the only place in the st- in the United States that they're perceivably welcoming all of these migrants to come in. And now you got those people that are homeless and jobless and everything else. So they're they're having to bat for any they're grabbing for any straws that they can get. So Greg, make that. you think this is all wagging the dog, the moving around from one story to the next? Right, exactly. All right. I'll accept that. Now, when you take a look at, uh, you know, it is interesting because when you take a look at the Khashoggi situation, you take a look at the point in the news cycle with which suddenly people became so upset about it. Uh, you know, it was a, a point where you had barriers that were being broken down by the Honduran caravan. It wouldn't have been good, like, if they had actually followed the caravan on the days in which they were breaking into Guatemala and to Mexico. So, yeah, there, there's an interesting point to be made there. And, uh, you know, you, you have to keep the focus, again, on what happened to Khashoggi not actually the Saudi government and what they adhere to in the day-to-day, because ultimately, well, that would not be so good for them or for their premise, which, once again, that's the bigger issue here is the premise. Uh, Because 
if the premise of anything false is false, anything built on it will be too. And not only is the premise of paying credence to the culture that is uh, that of Sharia law, not necessarily the Americanized ideal. Well, certainly not having people literally breaking down borders that are then going to be your legitimate asylum seekers, that doesn't fit the bill either. But, of course, the most important thing when you take these three cases of selective moral outrage together is if you have the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, well, think about what that represents to the left and news media as well. Now, in this particular case, why is it that we always have these cases that are brought up out west? Well, because that's their go-to, where they know They can keep this narrative going. What happens, for example, if they went to a court of appeals that ended up adhering to the president's order? What does the news cycle look like then? Do they have the story they want? Do they have the high ground to be able to impugn the president? Would you have the ability for John Roberts? I mean, would John Roberts come out and say, wow, whatever circuit court uh, that was taken to that actually did their job and didn't engage in judicial activism, wow, those are really some upstanding people. I agree with President Trump. Probably not, right, to any of that. So the other thing, and, and this is important for context, the desperation that is going on, something that I have been doing quite a bit, especially being here in South Florida, where there's a good chance that you're more familiar with our supervisors of elections names than your own. Brenda Snipes, Susan Booker became household names, probably not for good reasons. One of the things I've been doing, perspective, it's key. And the perspective uh, in all of this is why you're seeing the kind of backlash, the kind of effort around every turn, around every issue to get Trump. Yes, media and, and let the leftists hate the man generally, sure. But is that necessarily all that different? Now, instead, despite what people who really suck at what they do, like Nate Silver and his group, despite what they say, of course there was a wave. Okay, if, if there's a wave, then you're going to have a really hard time explaining why Republicans fared better than 85% of the president's party in midterms historically. Yeah, that's what happened. 85%. Two sides of stories, one side of facts. So here's a little bit of the perspective to kind of put in context why you're seeing the level of desperation out there. After the 2016 election, and I've cited this on this show a number of times, it was easy for people going into that election cycle to think what? Hillary Clinton's going to be president. And Republicans, I mean, they're they're a dying species. You're told this daily, right? And it was easy to kind of believe it if you wanted to. Conventional wisdom. What happened coming out of the 2016 election? Well, you ended up having more elected Republicans top to bottom in the United States of America than at any time since 1928. 1928. I mean, think about that. And oh, yeah, Donald Trump is president. A little bit of a divergence from the narrative that had been advanced. So that set them down the course of desperation. And you take a look and you go, yeah, but they just got the house back. Well, hold on. Here's what's real. If it had been even an average midterm election cycle, an average for Democrats, they'd be holding the Senate too. Seeing the average, average midterm election cycle since the advent of the two-party system You had more than 30 seats being gained by the opposition party, 
And yes, that did happen in the House. But you also had the opposition party averaging four gains in the Senate. Four. If that happened, Democrats would have had control of the Senate, too. Instead, what happened? Republicans gained. Republicans gained. So they didn't just hold fort with the normal outcome where the president's party loses 92% of the time in midterm election cycles. No, they actually gained in the Senate breaking history. And when you walk it all back and you take a look at every one of the midterm election cycles that's happened, only 15% of the time has the president's party done better. And some of that is even skewed by huge events that took place that were these inflection points in American history. One of which happened that three different times you actually had the president's party gain seats, 1934 during FDR, his first term. And, well, you had the Great Depression going on. Big inflection point in American history. The next time, 98, with the botched impeachment effort of Bill Clinton, that was a repudiation by voters of what the Republicans botched in that effort. And then 2002, George W. Bush's on back of 9-11. So those are the only three times that a president's party has gained across the board, both the House and Senate. So President Trump's performance, Republicans' performance, the past two election cycles read like this. The most elected Republicans in the United States of America since 1928, followed by outperforming 85% of midterm elections in U.S. history. Two sides to stories, one side of facts. Media spinning hard, and the truth of the matter is, the left is actually desperate, and it's manifesting itself with all of these various different selective moral outrages that are playing out across the country, across the world right now. We'll continue that conversation coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. Reach out and take care of your neighbor and show support. It's uh, the greatest country in the world. We need to act like and show it to one another. Yeah, food guy, Guy Fieri there, talking about the California wildfires. And that is what ultimately needs to happen. People coming together to help people, not always, I don't know, looking to the government, which happens to be the case time and again. And we've been talking about selective moral outrage. And ironically enough, it applies even to the situation in the California wildfires. Because if you actually had a pragmatic media, if you actually had people that were seeking intellectually answers, rather than uh, making this about climate change, because wildfires are new with climate change, change you know uh but uh no and and we might actually be able to show that the government of california is responsible for these fires getting progressively worse and killing people oh but details right i mean because the government is there to help the government would never hurt you Uh uh-huh or did they I remember covering it very well. You always had these regulations, these restrictions uh, in California for, I mean, decades now. But they became more restrictive. And there's actually this new act. It was like the, the Tree Act or something that passed 2003, 2004. I remember covering it. And at that time, I, I did a story about wildfires and what historically had happened and the impact when you end up increasing regulations, preventing nature from being able to do its own thing. You got one answer. One answer, if you don't want the problem, get out of hand. you got to go in there, and you got to do what nature would do for itself. Because what happens with nature? Well, you have life cycles with trees and with other things. And when they die, how does nature renew itself? It burns it all down, 
and then it grows again, right? So if you're going to prevent nature from doing what nature does, which California did, guess what's going to happen, especially once you develop around it? Anytime you have a problem, the problems are going to be substantially worse. The reason, and there's beyond enough evidence for this, that the California wildfires have gotten progressively worse. Oh, yeah, it is. Man, it's you and me. It's you and me and some cow flatulence. You and me and the cow flat. That's the reason. Yes, it is. Uh, man-made global warming. No, it's, it's actually the fact that uh, we, we have prevented nature from doing its thing. And government, the heavy hand of government, once again, is responsible for the destruction of property and the killing of people. Eh, but, you know, details. Selective moral outrage. Ah, but that's for... Next hour, we'll delve a bit more into that, along with the politics of the day and what's really happening with our political parties in this country. Uh, but first, on the selective moral outrage pertaining to judge shopping in the Ninth Circuit, let's go to Andy in Fort Worth. Andy, go. Hello. Uh, I've seen the biggest issue with the judge shopping and uh, going through the Ninth Circuit, as is so common. Once, even though it'll... The judge, uh, President Trump will be upheld generally when it gets to the Supreme Court. By then, the casual voter, he's lost interest, and all he's heard so far is Trump's overruled again. They don't say the Ninth Circuit, another arrow in the quiver of the Democrats. Sure. Uh, so I don't know how you overcome that. Well, then you- they go to vote. Yeah, well, you, you, you're on the right path, Andy, but there is a way you can overcome it, and it's actually what Mitch McConnell's been working on here. It's filling these judgeships. In yeah, fact, well, when you, you take a look at a lot of these courts, they do have vacancies that are coming up, and uh, with the Republicans holding the Senate, there's a really good chance you actually can start to make headway, including with the Ninth Circuit. Well, hallelujah. I'm uh, praying for it. Well, there you go. Appreciate it. Uh, now, Elections have consequences, and that's one of the more important stories here. Ultimately, there's nothing we can do about judge shopping and you know the the abuse by the left of you know this particular court uh, that does get overturned 86 percent of the time that it rules on something that is appealed. But we are making progress, which gets back to what I was talking about just a little bit ago. Part of what's going on here is the desperation, because often on the right, you're conditioned to be on defense because you do have a godless, soulless, and slanderous news media that's not interested in the truth, that's interested in plain politics, and you do have really nasty folks in leadership on the left that puts you on the defensive. You're used to feeling as though things are worse than they are. But again, these past two election cycles show differently. We'll talk about that, what's really going on with political parties in this country and uh, with the implications. That's all coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd. In for the great one, Mark Levin. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from, from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker. Somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building. We've once again made contact with our leader... Mark, love that. But it's an honor to be with you. I know we're going to take some pictures. 
and 42,000 in the Coast Guard and saved a lot of lives this year. Over 4,000, I guess they're saying. Over 4,000 just this year. That's a tremendous amount of lives that you saved. El Presidente visiting with Coast Guard in Lake Worth, Florida, just a couple miles, actually, from Mar-a-Lago. And, uh, in fact, speaking of which, hey, it is Brian Mudd, your South Florida friend in for the great one, Mark Levin, broadcasting just a few miles from the president, uh, who happens to be in Mar-a-Lago. I am a uh, morning guy here at WJNO in West Palm Beach, Florida. I also do a mid-morning show at WIOD in Miami, a Fox News guest contributor, and it's always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you filling in for the great one. Tonight we've been talking about the selective moral outrage, the selective moral outrage of our news media, the selective moral outrage of leftists, and the inconvenient truths, if you will, uh, that, that come up within the real stories. For example, Khashoggi and the selective moral outrage about that situation. Okay, so now suddenly our news media and leftists, they care about the morality or the lack thereof of the Saudi Arabian government. But they don't care that their country happens to adhere to Sharia law, where women are subservient to men, where homosexuals are supposed to die. I mean, details. But this Khashoggi, I mean, now that's bad. Selective moral Outrage. Selective moral outrage that comes up with the Honduran caravan. Not not the fact that, yeah, we have 500 known criminals to the United States government. Not the, the fact that it was a fraudulent organization, Pablo San Fronteras, that actually fundraised up and down California, then went to Honduras and ended up putting together this caravan. And then, uh, you know, they broke through quite literally borders in Guatemala and Mexico to eventually get two hours. Now, I mean, the, the, the selective moral outrage here is none of that. No, instead, it is that we don't have a heart. And Trump, he's a bad man because he doesn't have a heart. I mean, look at these poor, awful, innocent asylum seekers over here, not one of which happens to be legitimate. But again, I mean, that deals with facts and details. The selective moral outrage that President Trump has the audacity to call out the Ninth Circuit Court. And, and look, I mean... The, the most honorable person among the honorable people, Chief Justice uh, John Roberts, at least until his next ruling that the left doesn't like. I mean, he even calls out the president and says he, he's a bad guy and he's way off base, even though Chief Justice John Roberts, his court, happens to overturn the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals 86% of the time. But nevertheless, these are all examples of selective moral outrage. And the bigger issue here is... Not necessarily what you are positioned to think about at all. It's how desperate the left actually is. This is the more important point here. The reason that you are seeing so much of this play out, every news story possible, it seems like there's incredible moral outrage. It's because you are seeing desperation like we haven't seen in our lifetimes. Walk you back to a couple of points that I uh, discussed just a bit ago. Coming out of the 2016 election, more elected Republicans top to bottom in the United States than at any point since 1928. And then this election cycle. And what's happened? Well, you have people that are unbelievably awful at what they do, like Nate Silver. That man, how anybody assigns credibility, 
Well, does he suck? Well, did he suck in 2016? Well, did he just suck again? But nobody actually sits there and calls him out on it. No, instead, he's writing articles about, of course this was a wave, and I'm going to show you a bunch of numbers that don't have to do with any damn thing to speak about how it happened. Because, again, if you're not informed, I I mean, maybe somebody like Nate Silver can sit there and spin a narrative to make himself seem more credible and to fit his political objective while sucking incredibly at what he does. See, the fact of the matter is, if just the average outcome happened in the midterm elections, the Democrats be holding the Senate, too. Just the average outcome. And Donald Trump's Republican Party outperformed 85% of midterms historically. 85%. Those are your two back-to-back elections. Two sides of stories, one side of facts, and that's the perspective. Now, they are not, they being leftists in in high positions of power, not uh, Octavio Cortez. I I think we understand what goes on there. But uh, in, in many in elite media, they know exactly what they're doing. They know a lot of what I'm talking about here. But if they can count on you being ignorant or enough people being ignorant, then they can sit there with their slight to moral outrage and try to keep people on the right on, on defense. You should not be that way. You should not feel that way. Here is a little bit of what's going on. I want to share some perspective from Florida as well. Uh, because not only do we export our politics, But we also just made history here, and I'm not just talking about the criminally corrupt Brenda Snipes and the criminally corrupt Susan Booker, the Palm Beach and Broward County supervisors of elections. Now, I'm not talking about the criminally corrupt Brenda Snipes or the criminally corrupt Susan Booker. Not with this specific point, though I will talk about their criminal corruption and their voter fraud in a few minutes. Now, instead, along the lines of what I was just talking about nationally, how much attention have been paid on Florida's elections? I remember even election night, probably half the coverage, half the coverage was dedicated to what we had going on in Florida, our governor's race, our Senate race. And here is what you have not heard once, unless you happen to be a listener of mine in South Florida. What you haven't heard is that for the first time, since 1868, yes, 1860, good year, right? 1868, remember that one well? For the first time since 1868, Florida has a Republican governor and two Republican U.S. senators. Think about that for a moment. Now, again, you don't know this. You don't hear these things. That perspective isn't put out there. And instead, the defense that you are made to feel because the Democrats took back the House is really not the more important point. And it's not just because Florida is an ultimate swing state and we just did something for the first time since 1868, an election after the country did the first thing it's done since 1928 in terms of Republican politics. It's the bigger trend. Last hour... I mentioned briefly Hispanics and how Hispanics are about 30 different things in South Florida. The number one reason why people who otherwise are halfway credible what they do blow Florida's elections all the time. Number one reason they blow it is because they view Hispanic as a group. They take a look at the percentage of Hispanics in Florida and then they go, well, the Hispanic vote is going to be X in Florida. Well, guess what? 
Because Hispanic means about 30 different things in South Florida, what Hispanics are you talking about? Because that matters a heck of a lot more than anything else. In fact, the Saturday before the general election is actually the subject of a piece I did on the Fox News channel about Hispanic voters. And I mentioned how and why you would see Hispanics broadly in Florida break for the top of the ticket in ways that they would not necessarily vote for the bottom of the ticket. Indeed, we saw Democrats fare better down ballot in Florida, but at the top of the ticket, again, Republicans fared the best than at any point since 1868. So what's going on here? Here's the rest of the story. Our gubernatorial candidate on the left, Andrew Gillum, the Bernie Sanders socialist guy. What we ended up seeing is that Ron DeSantis, the Trump Republican candidate, fared substantially better with Hispanics in this state than even Donald Trump did in 2016 when he won by a bigger margin. See, what's happening is that Florida, every election cycle, is becoming more and more Hispanic. But have you noticed something else that's happening in Florida? Donald Trump won. Republicans hold governorship and both U.S. Senate uh, positions for the first time since 1868, with the largest share of Hispanics voting that we've ever had in a midterm election in the state of Florida. Now, how does that happen if Republicans are losing Hispanics, so to speak? See, the the rest of the bigger story here is what's really going on with political parties. And Hispanics, the 30 different varieties or so in South Florida, understand socialism a lot better than the average uneducated American does. And they know damn well the implications of socialism because their families have fled it. And they knew damn well that Andrew Gillum, why he wouldn't come right out and say that he was a socialist, was. And he certainly enjoyed the Bernie Sanders support. So what's happening when we are doing a good, incredible job educating Hispanics, broadly, about who these leftist candidates are, they're responding by voting for Republicans because they reject socialism. So reject the narrative that the right is losing because the country is becoming more Hispanic. What it gets down to is the amount of information and education Florida is the case study, and that's the real lesson of this election cycle. And I'm just getting warmed up on that particular topic because what's going on with the political parties? Well, what's happening with Democrats right now is a different version of a similar thing to what we saw with the Tea Party and Republicans going back to 2009. I'll explain coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. What they did in Florida, what they did in Puerto Rico, the Coast Guard has really become a symbol of strength and perseverance and toughness and uh, genius, actually. It's purely genius. President meeting with the Coast Guard here in South Florida over Thanksgiving and giving thanks to them and troops across the country and talking about what they did in places like Puerto Rico. And that is also part of the narrative that I was just describing. So... We have more Hispanics voting in Florida than we've ever had. We have more Hispanics in Florida than we've ever had. And you might recall that we had the hurricanes that ended up being just a humanitarian crisis in Puerto Rico, in large part due to incredible mismanagement 
on that island for an extended period of time. In fact, uh, ironically enough, we've even seen that the Puerto Rican government to this point still is not taking a lot of the money that uh, the federal government, our federal government, has uh, given their governor for rebuilding, for relief efforts, for aid for Puerto Rico, not been using it actually for that purpose. You might recall that they have had financial problems. In fact, the mismanagement on the island has been so poor for over a decade, they've been in a recession that entire time, predating hurricanes like Berea. So what happened uh, for years? You had a lot of the educated and highly skilled individuals leaving Puerto Rico and coming to places like Florida and even New York, New Jersey, uh, Rhode Island. It was a destination for many. And, and increasingly, when you had the skilled individuals that were leaving, you ended up having a dearth of other needs, uh, like, for example, in, in medical this is all going into the hurricane. So after the hurricanes, when you already had this recession that had been playing now, we already had shortages in like the medical space, for example. And you had a corrupt governor that ended up using money to try to shore up some of their bankrupt finances rather than actually taking care of people. What you ended up having is a godless souls and slanders news media that blamed President Trump for not doing enough to help these people. But true Puerto Ricans actually knew this point, and true Puerto Ricans who came to Florida, despite news media often saying that that would tip the balance because, again, remember, Hispanics vote for Democrats. And so Puerto Ricans coming to Florida would turn Florida blue. Let Florida blue was a very big thing. Instead, as I had indicated going into the cycle, maybe down ballot you would have Puerto Ricans, many vote for Democrats, but not at the top of the ticket because they knew and they got it. And there also were some specific things to our candidates at the top of the ticket, like Ron DeSantis, who had been extremely supportive of Puerto Ricans, not the government there, not their governor, but the Puerto Rican people well before he ran for this office as governor of Florida. And same with Florida's current governor, Rick Scott, who is running for the U.S. Senate, much more so than the outgoing, now retired Senator Bill Nelson once we get to 2019. And the point of mentioning all this once again is what's going on with political parties in this country. You have media that is out there with a, a real desperate effort. And I end up sharing some of the reasons for the desperation and the selective moral outrage and all the new big news stories of the day. But a big part of what's going on traces back to what happened with the onset of the Tea Party. Remember, just 10 years ago, it was crisis mode for Republicans. Democrats controlled Congress. President Obama had been elected with a landslide win and all looked lost, right? Well, very quickly, there was a backlash against the policies of Barack Obama because it wasn't just going to be sunshine and lollipops, as he always talked about. He enacted policies that were detrimental to this country. And we end up having a Tea Party that broke out in 2009, began to bring special election wins to Republicans in races that they never were supposed to win in states like New Jersey, for example, and Massachusetts. And that ended up giving way to the Tea Party-led takeover in 2010 in the House. And that was just the onset of what ended up happening with a tug of war between the Tea Party and the establishment Republicans for years. After the Tea Party won in 2009 and 2010, beating out establishment Republican types. What happened? Well, the establishment won in 2012 with the nomination of Mitt Romney, right? So that battle played out for years and for cycles. And then what happened? It all came to a crashing halt. When did it come to a crashing halt? The Tea Party, the establishment. Well, it came when Donald Trump wrecked and broke up that whole dang thing and put an end to it remaking the Republican Party in his own image. 
the Republican Party that has had more meaningful success inside of his first two years than arguably any other president, at least since Reconstruction. And that's not a joke. So as we take a look at the next steps here, as we take a look at what's really happening politically, you're seeing a different version of a similar thing play out with Democrats. And that is where a lot of this desperation is coming from. They are having their own version of a Tea Party, so to speak, only it's the anything but more liberty and more freedom. It has everything to do with socialism. And a lot of folks think that this started with Bernie Sanders. It absolutely did not. And you can see the roots. And again, this plays demographically into exactly what I've been talking about with Hispanics. What you see on the left is the growing trend that started with Occupy Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street and direct response to the Tea Party in direct response to that Republican wave. And I'll explain the implications and where we go from here coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd and for the great one. The champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now. 877-381-3811. I want to thank you all for serving today. We thank God for the blessings of having you people be our heroes. And you really are our heroes. And your families are back here and they love you and they respect you and they look forward to seeing you. Because you're the ones who keep America safe and strong and free. You do a job like nobody else. President Trump uh, for Thanksgiving calling each branch of the military, sharing his regards. And, well, that guy, that guy, President Trump, well, he remade the Republican Party in his own image. Hey, it's uh, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Broadcasting from just uh, a few miles away from where President Trump is right now. I'm in West Palm Beach, and uh, the president has been enjoying, as is tradition for him, the Thanksgiving weekend with his family at Mar-a-Lago, but has spent a lot of time uh, both visiting the troops locally and also uh, sharing those messages with them. Now, in the context of the political landscape, I've walked you throughout the course of the show today through selective moral outrage with all of the big news stories of the day and how media is as desperate as leftists and politics are. And so often on the right, you don't feel that way because you haven't been conditioned, one, to feel that way. And when you do have the news media and then often pop culture, that seems to be against your values. Well, you're always used to being on the defense. But the fact of the matter is, once again, that Republicans in the 2016 election fared the best they had since 1928. I illustrated the example about how And and there are two sides to stories and one side of facts. What I'm saying is beyond dispute, uh, it's simply a a matter of political history. Republicans outperformed this midterm election cycle uh, 85% of midterms previously based on the president's party. So 85% outperformance here by Republicans this cycle, including adding in the Senate. And then I shared the example about Florida. And despite our demographics, we've never had more Hispanic voters in Florida. The state continues to become more and more Hispanic. And yet what's happened? Well, we have a Republican governor and two Republican U.S. senators for the first time since 1868. All this is part of a bigger story, which is the desperation on the left, which is why 
around every turn, you're seeing the selective moral outrage. It's no longer just anti-Trump. It's every issue of the day. Now, in the greater sense of what's really happening here, the, the desperation by Democrats is everywhere right now, just not necessarily being discussed in the news media and by leftists politically. I mentioned uh, before the break, Occupy Wall Street. A lot of people take a look at the infighting that's taking place right now with Democrats, and they think that it really began with Bernie Sanders, and it didn't. Republicans, after they ended up going through their whole soul-searching, and eventually Donald Trump ended up putting an end to it, Democrats started in 2011 with Occupy Wall Street. That was their response, their response on the hard left, the socialist Democrats, to respond to the Republican wave of 2010. And they were not done, not by a long shot, because that is what eventually fueled Bernie Sanders. So their little brimming of socialist support within the party, five years in the making by the time we got to the burn. And who knows? I mean, they had the the Democrats not hosed Bernie company. Maybe he even would have had a chance to beat Hillary for the Democrats' nomination. That now takes us to where we are today. That is your infighting right now. Very similar to what we saw with Republicans, the establishment versus the Tea Party. The difference is when Republicans were going through their infighting, when they were soul searching, one, they were aiming towards more liberty, but two, they were making political gains every step of the way. What happened in 2009? What happened in 2010? Yeah, 2012 didn't go their way, but Republicans ended up gaining control of the Senate by the time we got to 2014. And then you saw what happened in 2016, political progress. Instead, what we have going on with Democrats right now, what's happened to them really since 2012? Well, 2012, yes, President Obama won re-election, which happens almost always. More about that in a moment. So ultimately, President Obama, Democrats performed about in line, but the performance for President Obama was worse in 2012 and for Democrats generally than it was in 2008. And then by 2014, lost Congress completely. By 2016, Republicans best showing since 1928. This time around, Republicans outperform by 85% of the midterm elections that have happened for the president's party historically. So they are going the other way. Democrats are going the other way. And that's what the media won't discuss. What you have is a fractured Democratic Party, which is fractured with one of its main and fastest growing constituencies, Hispanics. It's the undertold story. Just as we always hear that every young generation, they're all liberals. They're all liberals because, I mean, look at them. When they vote, they vote for Democrats and look at their values. Has not every single younger generation for I mean, gosh, at least the last 50 years, have they not been left-leaning until they begin to grow up? Typical family formation happens. They learn a little bit more. They understand what it means to pay taxes, and they understand the government doesn't have the answers. Hasn't that always been the case? So it was reasonable that we would begin to see that yet again, not just with the younger generation, which we started to with economic economic opportunity that's coming about with the Republican and Trump policies, but especially with Hispanics. Because, again, many of the fastest growing Hispanic constituencies 
are not the fraudulent front organization, Pablo San Fronteras, Hondurans that come through and try to gain asylum. Instead, they're people that have legitimately fled socialism. People that understand what it was like in Cuba. People who understand that Venezuela was the most prosperous country per capita until the government ended up taking over industry. People who understand in ways in which our educators have never even attempted to teach what's real. And this is the opportunity for the right. And in very smart uh, instances, we're seeing it play out, like right here in Florida. It is the roadmap going forward for Republicans. But again, it's the desperation by Democrats that you'll never hear about elsewhere. It's the desperation of the establishment to beat back the socialist wing to a certain extent, if, we're only, if only for this particular reason. If the socialist wing continues to rise the way it is in Democratic ranks, you are going to see the expediting of Hispanics broadly to Republican circles. It's happening in South Florida. It's happening across the state of Florida. It will end up happening in other places if Republicans get start smart and start using the messaging because this is what really has been going on. And I mentioned, by the way, the president, and like in the case of Barack Obama, overwhelmingly likely to win re-election back then. Well, this is something else that any mildly astute observer of politics also knows. Donald Trump is almost always going to be the favorite in 2020, no matter what else you hear coming out of the left. And the reason, for starters, is that 65% of the time, 65% of the time that any incumbent president runs for election, they're reelected. And that's before we have a conversation about anything else that's actually happened. We always see that it is about the incumbent president, not about the opposition. So if you have felt frustrated, if you felt like you've been beaten back politically by what's been going on in the left, you know, it's not something that you should feel bad about. It's actually the desperation that is being voiced by those in media and by those on the left. In other words, you're winning. Your values are actually making a comeback. The important thing is to stay informed and stay engaged and remember that all elections have consequences and you've got to get out and vote. It's as important as it's ever been, right down to those local elections. Okay, we've been talking about selective moral outrage all throughout the course of the show. Let's go to David in Rhode Island. Uh, David, go. Hey, thank you for taking my call. You bet. Um, what I did, I did a little bit of research, and I heard, I heard this uh, from somebody else. Um, but then I said to myself, uh, that had to do with journalists. Um, since 2000, over 100 journalists in the, in the country of Mexico have been murdered, executed in various ways. And where's the moral outrage from our local journalists in the United States? That journalists are being killed in Mexico reporting on drug trafficking, the cartels. Um, human trafficking, uh, um, human sex slaves. Uh, where's the moral outrage from the media on this? You're 100% right. You're 100% right. And I'm going to uh, pick up on what you're saying, David. I got another example that is different but similar because this is a pet peeve of mine that has long existed. If you want to know just how morally bankrupt your mainstream news media is, do you know how, any idea how many people actually lost to human trafficking every day in this country? The last I 
Oh, yeah, and, and, and David, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there in particular. My, my bad, but, but to illustrate your point, the, uh, the last I looked into it, we lose an average of 18 people per day to human trafficking in the United States that we know about. Now, the problem is, the problem is, the majority of them, for the news media, not blonde with blue eyes and cute girls, doesn't necessarily fit the image of so many that you can remember the names of that were victims. See, the problem is the overwhelming majority of young people, of children that go missing in this country to human trafficking every day happen to be often inner city and minority children. Something that I guess news media doesn't care about unless it comes to trying to win politically and win elections. But it's just another illustration of your point, David. You're right. You're 100% right because the most pervasive form in bias and bias in media is not what they present to you. I mean, often that's just plain crap. But it's the lack of information. It's omitting information. You're, you're right about the journalists that have been killed in Mexico. The selective moral outrage. But here comes Khashoggi, and oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. And the only reason it's the end of the world to the news media and to the left, again, is because they are anti-Donald Trump. And they are desperate politically to do anything they can to harm this man for all the reasons I just mentioned. Because the party is collapsing on itself and Republicans are engaged in a historical run of outperformance. Right here where I sit in South Florida, right on through to what's going on in Washington, D.C. So perspective is key. And I'll continue to bring that. We'll continue this conversation next. I'm Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. and I want to express our profound gratitude for the extraordinary sacrifices you make to defend our nation while you're away from your families and loved ones. I hope that you'll take solace in knowing that all of the American families uh, that you hold so close to your heart, we're all doing well. The president's message to the troops, freedom never has been free, still isn't free. And we all can play a role in trying to make a difference. And Mark is one of the more remarkable people, not just on the air, but off. Share a little bit of a, a message about him and, and what he has been going through and, and what you can do to help make a difference as well in just a moment. Uh, we've been talking about the re- reformation of the political parties in this country, selective moral outrage. And how it's all kind of coming together in the political moment that we are in at this point in history. Have uh, Andrew wanted to weigh in? Uh, Andrew in New Jersey. Go. Hey, how's it going? I have a good selective moral outrage. But quick, still with the uh, Latino vote in Florida, I think there's a large, especially Miami Cuban population, and they're generally overwhelmingly Republican. They love Reagan and they hate communism and Bernie Sanders. And many Latinos, like other immigrants, as they become more assimilated and make more money, they become more self-reliant. They don't need the Democrat welfare system. So they become Republicans. My ex-girlfriend was from Guatemala, which gets my moral outrage point. They were real staunch Republicans. They were all immigrants from Guatemala. But the left, they don't care about when a legal immigrant has to wait to come here. 
They don't care about the people like my wife, who's an immigrant from Thailand. They have to wait sometimes 15 years. So why don't they care? Like Geraldo would say, well, why do you care if the guy in the restaurant is illegal? And I say, because why don't you care about the guy who's waiting or the guy who waited? You are right on point, Andrew, and you definitely understand the point that I was illustrating, especially here in South Florida, to where Hispanic means about 30 different things. He mentioned Guatemalan. Absolutely. He mentioned Cuban. Absolutely. Talked about Puerto Ricans. Absolutely. Haitians. Give you a little interesting stat that you might not, uh, might not otherwise have ever guessed. You know what my biggest listening constituencies in Miami, my, my, Miami show is? Haitians. Haitians. Who would have guessed, right? You wouldn't think that because it doesn't fit the typical you know, talk radio narrative, does it? But there are a lot of people that want a better life, to his point. And that is what we are seeing. For the first time in a generation, we have an economy that is growing the way an American economy does. But it's more than just that. They understand what they fled and their families fled. Venezuelan population is one of the fastest growing here in South Florida. I tell you, they really do get it. And so, again, it gets to the bigger point to where... You're, what you hear, the disconnect in news media, the disconnect with people who just suck at life in their jobs, like Nate Silver, but are, are still walking around like they're super smart people and people get them credit for things, even though they're incredibly wrong. I mean, Nate Silver might as well be the Ninth Circuit Court. He gets overturned so much with his actual predictions. I mean, he sucks at things. Uh, but but he's smart. Look at all the numbers. Yeah, mine are a hell of a lot more accurate than his. But the bigger point here is that... You have a change that is underway, that is meaningful, that's powerful, and that has been moving forward for several cycles now. And don't let the leftist and and selective moral outrage narrative that is out there distract you from what's important. Don't be on defense. Share the message. Share the values. Keep on the gas. Now, specific to this holiday season, something I want to share. There is a... uh, there's a book. It's the last book by Mark Stad, Our Police, Jack Levin. And I'm asking you to do something as a listener of Mark's show. One thing that you could do to support him to make a difference and would be a great gift for your kids. Buy it. Buy the book, Our Police. It, it is a wonderful book about the perspective and the importance of police officers in our society. And it's a message that kids need. And it is the final book that was put out by... Jack Levin. Mark and what he's going through this weekend in particular, I can't imagine. What he's been going through for a while now to continue to bring in the information he does every day. Man's a hero. He's a hero to a lot of us. And I can tell you that behind the scenes, he's been working as hard as ever. So be there for Mark. Be there for his dad, our police. Of course, remember Life, Liberty, and Levin. Sundays, 10 o'clock on the Fox News Channel. Hit your DVR. Always an honor to be with you. Brian Mudd filling in for the great one. Happy holiday season. Merry Christmas. See you next time.